Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Football Outsiders Live. Hello. Welcome. And you're watching us right now on twitch.tv slash fboutsiders, as well as later on on YouTube. And you're listening to us on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. And uh, first of all, hi. Welcome to Shots and Tan, your Thursday show. This is our NFL preview. Today's guest, Kale Clinton. You know him from the weekend quotes and from any given Sunday. And we're going to talk about week four. But first of all, just an announcement, which is uh, you're still going to be able to watch us on Twitch. But starting next week, we're going to move our main video broadcasts over to YouTube Live. And that is where our discussions are going to be. So if you're in the chat thread, you want to be on YouTube Live. And we'll have those links going out starting next week. uh, Or check out our YouTube page and subscribe uh, to the Football Outsiders YouTube page, uh, which I believe is just called uh, Football Outsiders, which is a very easy to remember name. Uh, so with that, uh, you you missed us. We uh, preview good uh, all elite wrestling talk. Yes. <laughs> see, you see what I mean? My camera is doing the thing I, where it's dimming and undimming. Now that you mention it, I can see nothing else, Aaron. I can see yes. two things in my world, your camera dimming and undimming, and Kale's cardigan. Those are the only things I can bear witness to right now. Yes, we threw in the pregame while we were talking, we threw a really old school dated reference at Kale Clinton. I said he looks like uh, Kurt Cobain uh, doing MTV Unplugged, uh, which points out that Mike and I are in our 40s. Uh, Listen, little little during my time, but I mean, how could you not know MTV Unplugged Nirvana set at this point? Like that's that transcends generation. That's a big one. Kale is in maximum cozy road right now. Says Bilbo Baggins. So it's it's football weather and it's sweater weather. Kale, you were one of those guys like in the dormitory. You had posters of bands from the from before your time. Is that correct? Is that accurate? Oh yeah, no, definitely. I I mean, my dad. Raised me on classic rock a little bit. I had a, uh, I had the stereotypical, you know, Bob Marley poster up there. But I mean, even some more, you know, like Doors, Stone stuff, like so you know, classic rock my, uh, as we knew it, not classic rock. Because today, Pearl Jam <laughs> and Soundgarden and Nirvana are classic rock. Yes. Yeah, one generation prior of, you know, maybe like '90s grunge era. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we grew up with as classic rock. You know. Yes. Right. Um. And I realized I, I was mentioning before the show, I'm not wearing a cardigan. My my dress gets more and more casual the more of these videos we do. But I, I realize now I wore this short. I should have uh, saved this shirt for Sunday yes. as part of my always wear neutral colors rule. Well, you're going to be on the press box. You have you should veer towards neutral colors. Right. right. I'm going to have to find black or something to nothing with red or blue or I mean, I don't really have anything with bronze or whatever you call that color that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pewter. wear. Pewter? Pewter. Yeah. Pewter and – they wear both pewter and bronze, I think. Pewter. Or it's just called pewter. It's an interesting color. There's like a silvery color, and then there's like a bronzy color, and then there's like the red. Right. Is, uh, heaven forbid there be anybody who is acting like a homer in the Patriots press box. So that would be oh, like- there are plenty. I mean, there's Patriots. <laughs> Patriots have people there, and they're yes. in the – the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will have people in the press box. There are people rooting in the press box because the road team always has some of its personnel in the press box. Right. So it's not, 
it's not true that there's no rooting in the press box. Yeah, it's supposed to be a smooth though. But they, they keep somewhat chill. I sit on the far left side, and on the other side of the wall is the opposing owner's box. Okay. Oh, and that gets loud. Especially <laughs> uh, Jarvis in town. Kansas City in particular. Okay. Oh. Got, got loud in the past. Yeah. Clark uh, Hunt I'm not even talking about in the Mahomes era. Clark Hunt hiding behind the – oh, Jarrah's the crazy one. He's the crazy – just sits back and does his own thing there. It, in in Philly, we just root against the Eagles. That's there, it's just it's all hate. It's just a pure hate emanating, as you might expect, from the entire Lincoln Financial Field. Just fueled by spite. Yes. <laughs> we'll get to the Tampa Bay New England game because we're covering the biggest games of the week. But let's do it sort of in order here. So let's start a clock. Uh, let's start at one o'clock. I think this is the only one p.m. game that I chose for us to talk about. Uh, but it is, I think, the biggest of the one o'clock games is the surprisingly 3-0 and Carolina Panthers at the Dallas Cowboys. Carolina makes the playoffs in 68% of our Sims if they win mm. this game, 43% if they lose. Mm. Dallas, 82% with a win, 64% with a loss. Well, Dallas, I mean, he's a favorite in the NFC East right now. Right. The Dallas, I think, has clearly shown they're the best team in the NFC East. And uh, hi, Mr. Fruit. <laughs> and um, I, I can't remember. Do they have the best record? I think they have the best yes. record in the NFC. Yes. Yes. So yes. they're already ahead in wins, and they're ahead in DVOA, and they're ahead. No, we're not talking about the Cincinnati Jacksonville till tonight. In part, <laughs> I always wonder whether we should talk about the Thursday night game on the Thursday show, because what about the people who listen to this later as a podcast? And they might be listening after Cincinnati Jacksonville. Right. Do either of you have anything you want to say about Cincinnati-Jacksonville tonight? I'm, I'm pretty surprised at how well the uh, – I, I mean, I probably shouldn't be, but uh, I'm pretty surprised at how well the Joe Burrow-Jamar Chase connection has worked out at this point. And yeah. just as, you know, considering how this Jacksonville team's looked, that connection should continue to thrive tonight. Uh, beyond that, yeah, I'm uh, I'm probably just tuning in because it's – going to be one of the only things that I'm interested in on TV tonight. And that interest is pretty low as is. <laughs> Let us all learn the lesson not to get too obsessed with drops in the preseason. Yes. That's a good one. I agree. Uh, I'm interested to see how Cincinnati's defense because they're, they've played well, but yeah. Chicago and Pittsburgh were not great of offensive opponents, but then again, Jacksonville's not a great offensive opponent either. So right. uh Sam Elliott says Burrow versus Lawrence must see in 2019. Love it. Yep. <laughs> and maybe in 2023. Yep, agree. But tonight, well, I'm going to be watching because it's football, but I don't think we have to go too deeply into this one. No. I mean it's 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 an it's it, it's gonna be interestingly Fun and interesting and, and I think, close, but it's not going to have major playoff ramifications. Yeah, the seven-and-a-half-point spread was too rich for my blood for the Bengals. So it's like, am I going to play the Jaguars or am I just going to be like, well, I'll go to bed if the game stinks? And I have opted for bed, <laughs> you know. 
rest assured, I'll watch it the rest of the morning and all. But yeah, uh, that's it's not even a good game for like exciting, interesting. Oh, it's like a conference USA game. Let's do some parlays. It's not even good for that. this. Is doesn't this feel like this is the NFL version of the conference USA is on Thursday night? Yeah. Basically? <laughs> that's exactly it the whole afc south is like that the afc south is basically the sun belt of the nfl yes um before we get into the games mr frug says off topic but <laughs> did you see that the nfl is trying to get five by five flag football added for the la olympics wow it'll be perfect for the steelers <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i did not see that i don't know how successful they're going to be yeah. I don't know how many other countries really are playing flag right. football other than Canada and Mexico and maybe Japan. Right. I mean, um, I, like, I like the idea of rugby getting a, a, another chance in the Olympics because they are always trying to introduce it as whatever, an exhibition sport and all. Rugby, I can see rugby is very international. Rugby sevens, you know, which is like the flag football, but with tackling of rugby. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know about five on five football. Yeah, but, I mean, they keep – I, I know they've done this with basketball where they've introduced like the three V three variant for it, but at least, you know, basketball is an international sport that has, yeah. you know, big appeal in China, big appeal in Europe. It's got, you know, a lot more international appeal than football does at that point, you know, either throw some more uh, like, you know, add more rugby or get people like Nate Ebner who are actually going to be football players to play rugby. Right. Brian Miller points out Japan is, in fact, the best non-U.S. and Canada country at football at the moment, at least per World Cup results. Wow. I don't I follow mean, international I, at all. So I neat. get it from the NFL's perspective. Right. I just I don't think that the Olympics, even though the Olympics are in the United States and you kind of get to pick your own sports. That's why baseball was in, in Tokyo. Okay. Was Japan loves baseball. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't I don't think it's going to happen. Um. Carolina at Dallas. So let's talk about the Panthers and the Cowboys. First of all, I love what you pointed out and walked through today, which is both teams are in the top four in offensive DVOA in the first quarter. Yeah. And the Panthers are the second, I think, in defensive DVOA in the first quarter. So the, what the Panthers have been doing, I think folks have seen it, they win the first quarter and then they kind of win, go on to win the game. And that's why they haven't trailed yet this year. Their defense hasn't been tested from playing from behind. Offense hasn't been played. Tested playing from behind. But again, the Panthers haven't really faced an offense like this. And the Cowboys outscored their opponents 35 to 17 so far in first quarters. You saw they did a bunch of stuff to the Eagles. Granted, they got, you know, the Eagles making some mistakes along the way as well. But they come out early. They have a higher powered offense. And this is going to be a much tougher test for Carolina Panthers. Oh, this is the real defensive test right here. I mean, yeah. the, the offenses that they played the first three weeks, like New Orleans is a is a very good defense but i don't think we think that they have a good offense no. i mean I, I think i like their offense better than you do mike but uh so far this is this is going to be the offensive uh, test for uh the defensive test for carolina yes certainly i mean it's really interesting looking at our dvoa numbers especially in uh receiver specific matchups for defense carolina has so far been 29th in dvoa against wide receiver ones Hmm. First in DVOA against wide receiver twos and 18th in DVOA against other wide receivers. Hmm. Uh, especially with wide receiver ones are allowing 7.1 passes a game, 76.2 yards per game. And considering the offenses they've played, the Jets, the Saints, and the Texans, the best wide receiver one they've faced is Brandon Cooks, who went right. 9 for 11 for 112 yards last week. And 
it's this is a Dallas team with maybe the deepest top three receivers or wide receiver trio in the NFL. So right, well, though Gallup is injured, so now it's the deepest. Gallup, yes, now yes. it's just a really sweet pair. Yeah, it's and it's, this is definitely going to be a huge test for them. I am really, uh, I'm also interested on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know if they have Sam Darnold up for a comeback player of the year solely because of the fact he's escaped Adam Gase. I don't know if that counts as some sort of detriment to overcome. But even <laughs> still, this is one of the better secondaries that they faced, especially with Trevon Diggs kind of being a very surprising top cornerback he candidate. Won, he won defense and the NFC Defensive Player of the Month. Good for him. Yeah, he's tied for fourth in the NFL so far with total points stay for uh, – Per Sports Info Solutions, with uh, 12 points, he's been targeted 16 times with three pass breakups and three interceptions. Jordan Lewis isn't too far behind with you know another pass breakup and interception on 13 targets. And right. especially with Christian McCaffrey not practicing this week, might be limited there. I think that you know Terrence Marshall has showed, especially in last week. But I, this is by far on both sides of the ball the toughest test that Carolina's had to face. The honeymoon phase for this sort of 3-0 Carolina team is looking like it might come to a close this week. As The one thing Dallas Dallas doesn't bring is a pass rush because with no Tank Lawrence, I mean, I realize Micah Parsons has been really good as an edge rusher, but they're not really bringing anything on the other side. Right. You don't have McCaffrey or you have a very limited McCaffrey or whatever. You can't attack the middle of the field as much. You can't try and get the linebackers in the binds, things like that. And that's going to leave, I think, Sam Darnold trying to hit DJ Moore, trying to hit Anderson. That plays into Diggs's improvement that plays into that makes things very easy for the secondary uh for the cowboys and i i kind of see this one as a cowboys win going away personally uh i will say the short middle of the field i've mentioned this last week with dallas but it's interesting Mm -hmm. the carolina is the second best defense on short middle passes where Mm -hmm. dallas the 10th on offense carol uh dallas is 27th in short middle defense like Hmm. We talked about it, right? They threw to Goddard last week, and we we're like, oh, here we go. Philly's going to find the short middle pass. They're going to mm-hmm. take this Dallas week. And then they didn't. But um, yeah. I, I also – this is Carolina's defense has been super strong, number one in the league in adjusted line yards. But Dallas's offense is also number one in the league in adjusted line yards. So this is a great strength against strength when it comes to um, the running game. One of those strengths has been tested against the Texans and the Jets. Yeah. I, I know we can't keep going back to the schedule, 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 but it's just, it's still it's still sitting there after three games. Um, Chin, if Sam Elliott says Jeremy Chin and Shaq Thompson covering everywhere, yeah, they've yeah. played really well. They have been, and I think um, Dalton Schultz is not going to have two touchdowns and eighty yards in this game or whatever he has last time. They do a really good job of deploying those two tight ends in a lot of different ways, then moving them out. They've done a really interesting job with Gallup not available, taking Gallup's touches, moving them to the tight ends, moving the Pollard, uh, moving them, using some things like Cedric Wilson, Noah Brown, the different matchups. So the Cowboys can do a lot of different things on offense there. If your idea is you're going to get like two or three guys on your defense and they're going to step up for you, the Cowboys can go to their next set of weapons and beat you that way. And I don't know if C.J. Henderson is ready for this game. I'd have to, you know, look at the news stories. But, uh, you know, he only showed up a couple days ago. So if there's no Henderson, there's also no J.C. Horn, that's a hole in the Panthers' defense. Yeah, Henderson did actually arrive in Carolina on the injury report, but he's been a full participant this week, even though he has a bit of a groin injury. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it probably remains to be seen. It's still probably early for him. But 
that's definitely going to be a pretty solid addition for this Carolina defense eventually when he gets back. It's interesting, Mike. You didn't like that trade for Carolina. I think it's great. I think picking up a guy who was a top 10 overall pick and, and who was not seen as a reach mm-hmm. um, after one average year um, is, I mean, is worth a, a pretty fungible tight end, you know, in Dan Arnold. It's fungible until you say they are low on weapons right now. You don't know how limited McCaffrey is going to be moving forward. They're probably going to be using their tight ends in the passing game more. And Henderson, I mean, yeah, he was okay, question mark, question mark, question mark, last year. If the logic is, well, you know how the Jaguars are. They get rid of a guy because he doesn't fit the latest culture change, and their cultures are insane because they're run by crazy people like Tom <laughs> Conflin or uh, Marone or now Meyer. All right, so – but. I believe it when I say when Henderson is playing well, I've, I've seen too many Sidney Jones types who are always either hurt or not playing up to their potential, et cetera. If he, if he comes out there and lives up to potential, it's a great trade. Otherwise they traded future capital to bring a guy in right away to solve a problem where I don't think they're that team yet where they should be thinking, Oh, we have to solve this problem right away. Yeah. But I feel like, I think it's a future. It's a trade for the future too. It's a first round draft pick in only his second year, which means you're taking the gamble that he's good enough to be a first round draft pick. You have him for four years, and all you did was flip a third to a fifth. There, these guys become available that quickly for a reason, generally. So, yeah, and from what I've read, they're also pretty high on third round rookie uh, Tommy Tremble at tight end. Yeah, so, that's true. You know, sacrificing Dan Arnold, uh, especially for what they might get in hitting, you know, on a second year first round pick that hasn't quite panned out yet, it seems, you know, at least worth the gamble somewhat. You know, it's true that when teams are looking to get rid of young guys like this, there's usually a reason behind it. But I haven't seen any reporting on what that reason is. <laughs> right. Like, right. There's, there's no rumors. There's no rumors that say what is Henderson's deal? Like, why was he in the doghouse? It's a mystery. It is a mystery. DeAndre Baker was a mystery, too. And then then, then they solved the mystery. Then became a bigger mystery. <laughs> it was weird. But these things happen. And they don't generally turn into, hey, three games later, this guy has made an impact. You know, things down the line could happen. You're right. For the future, it might be a different situation. So Dallas minus four and a half. Who are you picking? I'm taking Dallas minus four and a half. I'm also taking the first quarter over. Plus 10 because I'm a first quarter over player, and I think it's going to be high scoring early in the game. Yeah, I'd love to maybe – I um, don't know off the top of my head what the over-under is for that game, but I definitely like Dallas minus four and a half in this one just considering this is by far the toughest challenge that Carolina's faced on defense this year. And I think, you know, outside of shutting down what looked like a pretty high-powered uh, high Saints offense coming out of week one, uh, this is, you know, this is going to be a real test for this team. That's three of us who are going with Dallas four and a half. I, I, I am too. And I stole your first quarter over for the uh, ESPN best best column, by the way. Love it. Love it. First, we're spreading the meme of first quarter overs. We're going to make it a thing. Yeah. Get your get your gambling done by 2 p.m. <laughs> uh, all right. Now I, I think we move into the four o'clock hour here. Uh, we've got really good 4 p.m. games this week. Yes. And we start with Arizona at the Los Angeles Rams. Arizona makes the playoffs 80% of the time if they win, 56% if they lose. The Rams, 87% if they win, 67% if they lose. There's going to be a lot of teams making the playoffs from the NFC West. Well, that is true. I mean, 
I think I think the NFC West is pretty pretty assuredly going to be sending three teams to the playoffs, mm. maybe four. Thing I was looking at in this game is I was looking at really two big play offenses that are meant to be explosive by design. The Rams lead the league with six 40-plus yard offensive plays, whereas the Cardinals, when we go down to 20-plus yard offensive plays, I believe they have 15. I believe they're third in the league. So this is going to be like the NFL blitz. It's going to be the playground a little bit back and forth. Interestingly, both teams are pretty good at stopping the big play as well. For example, if you go to DVOA and you go to the deep passing DVOA, the Cardinals have the second best deep passing DVOA in the league. Initially, you think, ah, that means they can stop Stafford in them. You dig deeper into it, there have only been 11 passes against them. A bunch of them were by Trevor Lawrence. A bunch of them were Tannehill running for his life and ejecting when Taylor Lewin was on crutches trying to play left tackle. So I don't think the Cardinals' pass secondary is, like, ready for this. I mean, their their pass rush helps them prevent deep passes, but I don't think their secondary is ready for this. And the more you start, the more I start breaking down the Cardinals, the more I was really leaning toward the Rams in these in this game. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me, honestly, is just looking at these teams, the two biggest offensive weapons in this game for both teams haven't quite gotten it going yet this year. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins for the Cardinals, tied for first in targets, tied for fourth in receptions, fourth in total yards, six on the team in catch percentage, if you ignore James Connors one for one in the passing <laughs> game. On the other side, Robert Woods tied for second in targets, second in receptions, fourth in total yards, seventh hmm. on the team in cash percentage. I think that ends up working out uh, for two different reasons. On the Cardinal right. side of the ball, they, it's been really surprising to see just how many guys they've gotten involved in the passing game, yeah. whether it's Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, A.J. Green seeming to have this, you know, really surprising resurgence since leaving Cincinnati, uh, even Chase Edmonds in the passing game. And in L.A., Cooper Cup is just dominated. The passing <laughs> oh, my game God. He's so he's he's on a lot of my fantasy teams this year, and it's wonderful. A 35.5% target share in what looks like a pretty high-powered offense. Right. He's dominating this so far. Right. I, I will say my thing about the Cardinals is I don't know how their defense has been doing this so far. Like, the first right. game was just so much Chandler Jones. Right. But they're, like, sixth in defensive DVOA so far, and I do not think they can keep that up. I, I the, You look at their secondary – Robert Alford, Byron Murphy, and a fourth-round pick rookie named Marco Wilson. Like, right. Really? Like, you guys are going to cover Woods and Cup and Deshaun Jackson? I don't know. No. And, and again, that with, with the offensive line and the way that McVay's offense gets the ball out of Stafford's hands, uh, you know, except on, like, the deep shots to Jackson, but on the other passes, they're very low in adjusted sacks rate because they don't take sacks. And – I don't think so. I don't. Chandler Jones is not getting five sacks in this game or whatever. And I just don't think the Arizona defense can keep up with the LA offense. No, it's been very fits and starts for the Cardinals. I watched that Jaguars game because I think I, I, I slept on the Jaguars Cardinals game a little bit until later in the week and watch it. It was close. The Cardinals did not play particularly well, but you know, how does the their secondary look good? Well, you, Trevor Lawrence is not on the same page with his receivers yet and is still making a lot of mistakes, and the receivers are making a lot of mistakes. And I, I think Brian Schottenheimer bangs his head into the wall five times and then puts that offense together. I don't understand what the Jaguars are doing sequ sequentially. The Cardinals are doing it because their pass rush is doing it for their secondary. It worked when Chandler Jones went ham. It worked against the Jaguars. It was okay against the, the Vikings, although that was a nip-and-tuck game. Don't think it's going to work here. I mean, it was a nip and tuck 34 to 33 games, so I don't think it really worked that well. Yeah, you're right. That's it. Yeah. 
that was one on a 62 yard field goal and the chip shot lost the other uh missed the other way yeah um here's an interesting stat that came from the zebra guys those are the guys to do the chips and the pads for the yeah. nfl matthew stafford this year 25 out of 34 for 345 yards from empty formations with only one pass pressure. Was Derek saying that two weeks ago? That the that's the one of the big changes. For, I think Derek said it. Yeah, that, that that the Rams are going empty a lot more this year, and they're just having huge success with it. Yeah, and more effective with it. The empty doesn't mean oh we're going to float one to one of the guys in the in the in the. It slots. doesn't mean a three yard cross to Robert Woods. <laughs> right, right, right. They can do more with it. That's cool. A useful Baker says, patiently waiting for Deshaun Jackson's annual hamstring injury. Well, that's true. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, it, it's probably <laughs> coming. That's true. But if they're lucky, it'll only cost them two or three games. Right. He didn't get hurt doing a backflip into the end zone this time. So you got that going for you. <laughs> uh, Rams are favored by four and a half. Sounds like we all like the Rams with that line. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, I, think, I will say I'm – I, I'm all over the over in this game. Uh, team rankings has the LA Rams is three and zero against the over. Arizona's one and two against the over, but I'd say yeah. that's more on the Titans and the Jaguars for not holding up their end of the bargain at this point. Yeah. Because Arizona's <laughs> offense is averaging, you know, just over thirty-four points a game, and like you said, this secondary probably can't contain just the number of weapons that this LA Rams offense is going to throw at them. So I right. like points. The over yeah. under on this game is. Uh, 55. 55. 55. It's high. It's high, but I can I can I see your reasoning on it. Mm -hmm. It's high, but it's that's it's gonna be high scoring. Yeah. Uh let's stay in the NFC West. The whole NFC West is playing each other this week because we also have Seattle at San Francisco. Seattle is in the playoffs in 62% of simulations when they win, 35% if they lose. San Francisco, 74% if they win, 46% if they lose. Yeah. So, like, even if Seattle loses and Arizona loses uh, because they're the, they're the weaker of the teams, we think, in, this, in these games, um, uh, I mean, win-loss-wise. Yeah. Like, even though you still have every team in the NFC West has a, at least a one-third chance of making the playoffs. Like, that division is really good. Even Seattle at one and three, if they come out with a loss. Yeah, we'll still come up with a 35% chance of making the playoffs because DVOA wow. thinks they've still been really good. Right. Like, DVOA has them outplaying Minnesota last week and outplaying Tennessee the week before despite losing both games. So. Um, you know, I don't know whether DVOA is missing something with all the plays that they've had against them, but, you know, it usually sees something that matters for the future. And what it sees is that the Seattle offense is still hitting on all cylinders and their defense is, you know, what I said, not a nightmare. Like, <laughs> yeah. The way Seahawks fans are talking about it, you think, that this was like the Lions of a couple of years ago when they allowed six bazillion yards. Like, they're not that bad. They're used to the Legion of Boom up there. They're used to all that, and they're seeing this. I am stunned, by the way, that DVOA thought Seattle was better than Minnesota that uh, last week because uh, watching that game, it was just hot knife through butter, Minnesota's drives. Now, to speaking to what you're saying, it was six yards, five yards, seven yards, nine yards, 11 yards. And that's how those drives matriculate down the field, which I think DVOA tends to like. Tends to like that. I know. I'm surprised too. Right, right. But it was I just – I have to look closer at the play-by-play -play with the game. I think some of it may be that first half, second half thing. 
mm-hmm. like we're thinking about the second half here, not the first half. Right. But, you know, what What I think Seattle fans are responding to is uh, is you can those short passes are open all the time. They don't get a lot of pass rush without blitzing. They've got to send Jamal Anderson to get the pass rush or somebody else to pass rush. Their linebackers can't really cover, which has been a problem for years. Wagner can cover. The other ones don't really cover very well. And their linebackers are on the field a lot because they like staying in base or close to base. They don't like going to dime. And then they go to nickel. You have to have Jordan Brooks on the field. Yes. Yeah. So you take the Barton kid, I think out and you put, you keep Brooks out there. You go to dime. You can take Brooks out. They don't like going to dime and look who they face. You face Tennessee. They want to stay heavy, stay in two tight ends as much as they can. Vikings, they live for two tight ends and a fullback or whatever. Now you're facing a team in San Francisco that wants to keep uh, Yushik out there and Kittle out there and go with the second tight end. It's going to be a real bad matchup for that Seahawks defense. Yeah, I mean, this is still just a – like it, it, uh, Bobby Wagner is the only thing keeping, you know, the remnants of Legion of Boom still in this – it's right. still in the back of the minds of these Seattle Seahawks fans because this is really not shaken out the way that, you know, Seattle fans probably have wanted. And I still think, you know, at Jamal Adams trade, just for the amount of capital yeah. they've given up, it, it's it's really surprising just to see how little they've tried to at least tailor or scheme things up specifically for him. It's right. it, I, I think they've really, for the amount of capital they've invested in. Well, he's basically just an undersized pass rusher at this point. Right. They don't use yeah. him as a safety that much. Right. And it's weird. Yeah. I think they thought, oh, this is Cam Chancellor. We're just going to have him be Cam Chancellor. And he's not, but they're not trying, I guess is what, is what I'm looking for. Like, like that, that, like, oh, like every blitz package seems to be him. When I see a blitz package, he's got to be in on it. It's like, it should be a more situational thing. There should be a, I mean, Jordan Brooks should be like the situational edge rusher, I think, because I think that's his strength. And yet it winds up being the safety, which causes all kind of problems on the back end. Yeah, uh, just especially considering how high floor, low ceiling a quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo is, a defense that really isn't generating much pressure at all in the pass game. This is, I think it's actually going to really come down to like, this, this defense might make San Francisco look really good offensively, especially coming off, you know, the second half of that Sunday night football game with Green Bay. Right. right. Brian Newell says, who wrongly thinks their unit is worse? Seattle fans and their defense or 49ers fans and their offense? Well, Brian's got opinions on this, I am sure. I mean, if 49ers fans are, don't like their offense so far, you know, I they're a little nuts. Their offense is 10th right now in DVOA. Like, what, what are you guys trying to get out of this thing? Like, uh, a pass more than 15 yards downfield complete is probably what they want. Yeah, that's not how Kyle Shanahan works, but I mean, their offense is still, their offense is still playing well. I mean, yeah. yeah, they're not throwing it deep, but they're still playing well. So, absolutely, like, the 49ers fans are more wrong about their offense than the Seahawks fans are about their defense. I would agree. I think some um, of the concern honestly comes from the lack of, you know, involvement. At least it started to happen now, but, you know, especially early in the season, the comments Shanahan was making about getting Brandon Ayuk involved, Trey Sermon right. involved. I think a lot of that frustration comes from like, we've got And they want to see the rookie. 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 They yeah. think the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. As we all have pointed out, I think by this point, given the way the other four rookies have played, I don't know if the grass is greener on the other side. I mean, it's a good sample size, but it's a, or it's a, you know, it's good what we've seen so far, but it's a sample size of seven total plays at this point, I think. <laughs> right. Uh, it's not. All custom designed. Exactly. Um, 
Interesting, Seattle's run game has been better than I think yeah. anybody expected. They're fourth in adjusted line yards. They're the best in the team in the league in both stuff rate. They're only been stuffed for a loss or no gain 6% of the time. And open field yards per carry. So they've got a lot of long yards. 49ers have been kind of average in run defense. I don't think that's the strength. The strength of their defense is the pass rush because of Bosa and Armstead. Right. Another thing that happens, and it was so – it was like nostalgia in the uh, Vikings-Seahawks game. The Seahawks get into field goal range and then start goofing off. And I think they missed the field goal. But how many times have you seen a drive where they drive into field goal range and then there's a sack and then Russell gets sacked out or they, they try something elaborate and they lose yardage or there's two holding penalties. There used to be like five false starts in a row or whatever. So when they get into that uh, front zone there, I think they're still struggling there, and that's leaving some points on the board, which, again, has contributed to a couple of these losses. Well, they only have two losses, but it's contributed to them. Yeah. Um, the line on this game is San Francisco by three. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, I like that. I was looking at a, a same-game parlay, but I didn't like the over. The over is someplace I, I wasn't happy with. Uh, over under on this game is 51.5. Oh, it just changed. Yeah, that's oh, your 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 numbers are probably more, more recent than I'm looking on pro football reference. So okay, no, I got 51.5 right now. Like I could play it at this moment. Um, it's a little that's a little too high, and I don't necessarily want to go under in that game as well. But I'm I'm going with the 49ers in this one. Yeah, I hate riding all favorites so far, but every game we've talked about, it just feels like, you know, I, I think San Francisco might be able to outmatch them, especially I was – I'm still very surprised by that performance against Green Bay, even though, you know, it comes down to a field goal in that case. But, I mean, that last-second drive by, uh, you know, the 49ers down the stretch, you know. Yes. It, I, I don't know if it's just recency bias or what, but it really, you know, kind of impressed me. Yeah. Chalkzilla. Chalkzilla, baby. I would not want to bet on this game. Right. No. It's That's interesting. The 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 um the uh the the FO premium picks picked Seattle. I think right. if I had to be forced to choose, I think the the certain specific weaknesses of the Seattle defense that I would pick San Francisco minus three. Okay. But I would this is a game I would stay away from. I, I don't yeah. want to bet on this game. I feel like this line is pretty exact. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm not I'm not rushing to, to play this particular game. Uh, Sam Elliott asks, was it Barnwell or Bill Simmons that called the sack out of field goal range a Stafford? Oh, I don't remember that one. That's good. Got to yes. rename it now, though. Can't can't call it a Stafford. Say, we must remember the days when Matthew Stafford was not seen as the greatest quarterback who ever played the game. <laughs> I do find that there has been this sort of like collective like erasure of memory about yep. Matthew Stafford. Yep. Where where it, we've gone from McVeigh will make him look good to he is great. Like he himself <laughs> is great. Right. Not McVeigh is making him look great. And we forget what we said about him four and five and six years ago. And one and two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he is. Listen, okay. it's always like the shiny new toy of just like the hot new thing to kind of just harp on, you know, these, these same talking points kind of get old. So the second, you know, a new, like a new sample size gets thrown in there, especially like the last three weeks at LA shown, especially coming off the heels of that Tampa Bay game. Like, yeah, 
of course it's going to be revisionist history across the board. Yeah, and it's recency bias. It's 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 how we do it. I was saying yesterday in my brain, I can't remember that Stafford anymore because I just saw him outduel you know Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Uh, by the way, he is plus eight hundred, all the way up to plus eight hundred for MVP right now. Matthew Stafford, not the highest. Kyler Murray is at plus seven fifty right now for MVP award. I schmuck base. I would think that Stafford is a better bet than because the step. The Stafford story is so good. Stafford arrives in L.A. Stafford turns L.A. into a dominant Super Bowl contender. The story for MVP is right there. Like, yes. this is you added this player, yes. and this player turns you into a 14-3 and three team or whatever. Like, I would think Stafford is a better bet for MVP than Murray is. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. Am I allowed? I mean, you know. Who would I vote for? I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm not for the number. I'm one of the voters, right? I mean, I vote more based on the numbers than the storylines. I, I love your commitment to re reminding us of that every time. Too. I, it's one of my most things I'm most proud of. To be you honest. should. You should be. You should be. Um, you know, I'm glad that the stats community has a voice in the voting, and I'm glad that that voice is me. Awesome. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm proud to be not humble about it. I think it's pretty. That's good. That's awesome. good. No, it's. It's. It's a me move. It's a me kind of move. That's why a game recognizes game. And I will say, point. I point out by the way, I screwed up on a previous podcast. I said that I don't have a rookie of the year vote. I do. I just totally forget. Forgot that we voted for rookie of the year. I voted for Justin Jefferson for offensive rookie of the year last he's, year. So he's, so he's so humble about it that he forgets, Cal. I, I can vote for an <laughs> offensive lineman. So an offensive lineman might get a vote this there year. You I, go. Might, I might do it. I'm, I'm threatening to do it. This is the year for <laughs> Creed Humphrey, guys. Creed Humphrey. Um, Rashawn Slater, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I better. feel like Rashawn Slater has been the leader, like more than even Sewell. Like Rashawn Slater has been the leader of the rookie tackle. So, you know, Najee Harris is bleh. And if none of the quarterbacks play well, and uh, you know Jamar Chase is nice and all, but you could definitely go with Rashawn Slater as offensive rookie of the year. I mean, it's only been three weeks, but like you can see that developing. That's why he's the voter, Cal. That's why he's the <laughs> not me. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Chargers later. Let's do one more a 4 p.m. game or 1 p.m. game for those of you on the West Coast. Uh, Baltimore Ravens at the Denver Broncos. Here's another 3-0 team. Baltimore, 83% of the time they make the playoffs if they win, 63% if they lose. Denver, 88% of the time when they win, 69% if they mm. win. 69% with a loss. Uh, the Broncos it's schedule overall. 3-0 is powerful. Yes. And they still have an easy schedule moving forward. Not in because that would be impossible. One, Dave is based on our projections still right. mostly. And remember, we had them projected as a wild card team. We liked Denver going into the season. Two, they've been really good in the early going, even though and we're not fully applying the opponent adjustments yet. Right. And three, their schedule is still easy the rest of the way. And four, starting three and oh is powerful. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um you have something to say, Cal, before I steer this off the ditch with this prop bet here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. it's surprising, you know, coming off the heels of that week two win over Kansas City, but this oddly feels like one of Baltimore's biggest tests, at least offensively. Uh, you know, Broncos D coming in fifth in uh, passing DVOA. Uh, right. Kyle Fuller, Pat Sertan each have three pass breakups on 18 and 12 
targets respectively. Fuller and Bryce Callahan up to the top of the league in total points saved, 11 each. It's a similar situation to Carolina for Denver, though. Uh, the Broncos haven't really played anyone in particular from a high-powered offense. They've gotten their wins against the Giants, Jets, and Jaguars. Mm. Giants are 19th in offensive rushing DVOA. The Jets are 24th. And surprisingly, I didn't realize this. The Jags are 5th in rushing DVOA of James Robinson. James Robinson, and, uh, baby. Yeah, and, and Hodge playing well, too. They just don't run the ball. They don't run it much. Yeah. Um, because of the losing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that – you know, Jack, uh, Jacksonville sitting right behind Baltimore, who's fourth in rushing DVOA offensively. If they have a – it's weird saying this about, you know, comparing the Broncos to the Chiefs, who would have thought, you know, coming into the season. But if they run a similar game plan, I think, to what they did in Kansas City week two, where, you know, they're getting Lamar involved on the ground, Tyson Williams, the stable of Houston Texans-style, you know, scrap veterans that were good three <laughs> to five years ago with the running back position. Right. Uh, I, you know – I think this will be a really interesting game for Baltimore, at least. And, you know, what a catastrophe that would have been last week had Justin Tucker not made NFL history with a 66-yard field goal. Picking one up against Kansas City and then almost blowing it to the Dan Campbell kneecap biters. (laughs) I I mean, talk about just a real way to screw up a season early. I I, I definitely think Denver – it's tough, you know. Derek Klassen broke down the Denver offense today in film room, and it looks good. And then you remember, first of all, they're really struggling to run. Baltimore is third in defensive adjusted line yards. Denver is twenty fifth mm-hmm. in offensive adjusted line yards. And as far as the passing game, no Hamler for the rest of the year, no yeah. Judy for the next few weeks. Right. You know, they're going to be using, I think, David Moore as their third receiver. You know, maybe the Denver passing game won't be as good as we think it or as good as it's been the last three weeks, especially when you consider that this is a much tougher defense than the defense that they played in the first three weeks. Yeah, I I'd agree. And one of the reasons it was such a close game against Detroit was three dropped bombs by Marquise Brown, who was open consistently. I don't think he's going to be as open consistently against a very good Broncos secondary. But this this Ravens offense is firing better than it looked based on the final score last week. Um, that said, uh, in my search for a prop bet, are you ready for this? Total combined field goal yardage. Total combined field goal yardage over 125.5 yards. In Denver. In Denver with Justin Tucker and a Broncos offense that might be struggling a little bit and a Ravens offense that sometimes doesn't punch it in. So you get 120 – what is that? 440 yarders and a 45-yarder, you win this bet. At yeah. minus one ten, so it's not that great a payout. But and Brandon McManus has a leg on him too, especially yeah. kicking you know the thin air up in Denver. Like that, that seems. I know, don't know if Brandon McManus really has a leg on him, or if it's just that he's in Denver. I'd have to look but, closer at that. But if he's in Denver, Justin Ducker could do sixty six in Denver. Yeah. Easy. Two sixty sixes and actually you still don't win because you're at one twenty five point five. No, yeah, you're over that. You yeah, win. you win. Two sixty sixes. You'd have to. Yeah, two sixty six is a win. Yep. Two fifty. Two fifties and a chip shot win. Mm-hmm. Money, baby. Um, it, I that would be a that is. I don't. I have absolutely no idea mathematically if that's a good bet, but that's a fun bet. 
Uh, it was like that's it was a, one where you would watch that game and be like, "Oh, come on, field goals, come on!" Yep. It's hooking the wall. Like, oh. go ahead, red zone offense, break down. <laughs> yep, that was it. That was it. I couldn't resist it. Sam Elliott says, "At one twenty-five, bet the car, not the house." That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, Andy fifty uh, RML fifty-five uh, five fifty-five says, "Is anyone excited for the Rashad Bateman debut?" Is, is Bateman re ready? I know that they're you know he they're activating him off IR, but I don't know if he's ready for this week. And there's Miles Boykin also. I don't know if he'll be ready for this week. I'm excited for Bateman to debut when that happens. Yeah, and if he's not sharing time with Hollywood Brown and uh, Sammy Watkins, because uh, Watkins eventually will get hurt, but I think he's healthy right now. And Duvernay and Boykin, you know, the over under on like blocks for screen passes. On Boykin is around 1.5 as usual. So we have that going. I, I do want to see Bateman when he comes in. I don't know if this is going to be the week he's going to be an impact player. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll definitely help Hollywood out as well. Just, you know, it's one of those things where you get a guy as potentially skilled as Rashad Bateman and it knocks everyone down right. a notch on the depth chart. It gives everyone a little bit easier an assignment below Bateman because I think he's genuinely going to come in and, you know, if the reviews from the preseason and what his draft stock showed, he yeah. – probably is the wide receiver one in this Baltimore offense eventually, not necessarily out the gate, but, you know, I think he's going to be drawing, you know, probably top cornerback assignment. So that'll help, you know, Sammy Watkins get involved a little more kind of the way he did in Kansas city, not calling Rashad Bateman, Tyree kill by any means, but <laughs> it's also going to help Hollywood Brown a bunch. Just, you know, it, it, I don't think anything's going to help Hollywood Brown save him from his own hands, but you know, <laughs> it'll help a little bit. Bateman is good also short middle of the field quick game there's not a lot of quick game there uh with, with Lamar Jackson but somebody else besides Andrews who could work the short middle would be helpful as well Denver is favored by one mm -hmm. really Denver by one at home now I mean home field advantage has been non-existent this year again mm -hmm. um I know it's Denver's home field advantage that there's a feeling that Denver has, you know, a bigger home field advantage, although I've never been able to actually find that. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, Denver minus one, who are you picking? Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. Baltimore all the way. Yeah. I think it comes down for me, uh, just Baltimore's defense. Uh, you think this line is overreacting to last week's game? I mean, yeah, I think so. But the, uh, also, just only having to really worry about Cortland Sutton. Uh, Baltimore does pretty yeah. well against wide receiver ones, and I don't think their poor performance against wide receiver twos and the other wide receivers is going to come in that much when they're that banged up with the position. What's really interesting to me is they're 19th in DVOA against tight ends, and considering the gauntlet of tight ends they've faced of uh, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and TJ Hawkinson, they're a probably a George Kittle short of playing the top four tight ends in the NFL. Ooh. So I, I, they've fared okay, and that's probably going to be Teddy Bridgewater's second-best passing weapon, no right. fan. So they've got everything pretty much tied up in the passing game, it seems like. Uh, we've gone this far in the broadcast without talking about Tampa Bay at New England, so here we go. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this, but Tom Brady is going to be back in Foxborough. Uh, Tampa Bay makes the playoffs 92% of the time if they win, 82% of the time if they lose. New England, 56% of the time if they win, 35% of the time if they lose. And, um, I mean, the line is six and a half. It honestly feels too low to me. 
yeah. subjectively, I just feel like <clears throat> Brady's going to come out and be just completely on his game. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I am anticipating a blowout in this game. Um, I don't know, if Cal, how you feel about that. If I mean, if there's anyone that's going to be able to scheme something up for Tom Brady, it's going to be the guy that <laughs> coached him and worked with him for two decades. But yeah. I, I still don't see this. It would be a lot easier game. to scheme that up if Stephon Gilmore was playing. Yes. Yeah, that that'd definitely help. But I mean, this this Pat secondary has surprisingly overperformed despite the lack of Stephon Gilmore. Uh, I, it's just some of this surprised me a little bit, at least. But yeah, this is. I don't think it's going to be that close. Do you think Arians and Brady will run up the score? Define. Mm. It's hard to say run up the score. They're probably going to keep scoring. But I, I don't know. If you're talking about that, like we're going to run a fake Neil bomb or something like that, I don't think that they're going to even... Like, I mean, do you think they'll just keep passing into the fourth quarter? Or if they've got a 21-point lead, will they just hand it off to I Fournette? I think they'll probably keep passing into the fourth quarter. I don't think they would want to give the satisfaction of, of a rub-in-your-face play because that almost like like you know bounces off of them and sticks <laughs> sticks back to them like oh this was so in your head that you had to do that but i can see them i can see them like pulling away and continuing to pull away in this game yeah i honestly especially after the la game uh last week i think brady's coming into this and already you know very like a, a game that was on everyone's radar coming into this year uh he's already coming into this with you know a bit of a chip on his shoulder and he's now coming in even more pissed off because of how he played against LA and dropping that one. So, yeah. I, I mean, if Belichick's right about the fact that the Bucs are basically running the Patriots offense, it's the Patriots offense, but a cinder block on the gas pedal. So, yeah, I, I think even if just they don't run it up with some sort of vendetta against Belichick or some sort of plans for revenge, yeah. Yeah, just the way that they run their offense in general is probably – going to lean more toward points in the fourth quarter if they're up by a lot. The running game stats are really interesting in this one. I looked at adjusted line yards. Tampa is fifth in adjusted line yards this year. Wow. But they have no open field yards. They have had no runs go longer than 10 yards at all. They're not running the ball very much overall. And they're getting like good, productive little four yards. The Patriots defense is much stronger against the pass than the run. Right. So in a normal game, you would look at this matchup and be like, oh, you'd want to run some more. But we all know that this is just going to be Brady passing it right. like and, crazy. And you, fa- you faced Miles Gaskin and that horrible offensive line in week one. I, I, I'm sure the Patriots run defense is relatively strong, but I don't know if it's like that right. big of an advantage here. Um, you guys interested in an entire uh, – uh, there's Brady bets. Draft oh, I must, there must be more props than we know what to do with it. And game. some of these are so esoteric. Now, Brady needs, what, 67.5 passing yards? 68. 68. Well, yeah, well, that's the over-under. 68, yeah. thank you. No one needs .5 passing yards. Thank you. That was on yeah. uh 68 passing yards for the all-time record. You can bet on which Tampa Bay player catches the, the game-winning pass. Or the record-breaking pass. Record-breaking pass, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mush mouth right now, but so who will catch the record breaking pass? You can get Gronk at plus 300, Godwin at plus 350, Leonard Fournette at plus 800. Now it goes on and on. It's very, this is pretty much random, right? This is just a random bet, except right. that it's not random because like the probability of somebody's like target percentage comes into play, right? 
I mean, narratively speaking, the best one has to be Brady the Gronk, right? It, like, it has to be. Yeah. Reality speaking, it's probably a dump off to Fournette. <laughs> and at plus 800, that might be worth it. Now, Brady's career high at Foxborough is 443 yards. So if you're thinking pull away, run up the score, or just, you know, the, the, the Patriots won't be able to hang with them, over 443.5 passing yards for Brady, over 443.5. Plus twelve hundred. Now that's a tall order for Brady to go over four hundred something, especially in a game we think they're going to win, so they might be hitting the clock a little bit in the fourth quarter. But you get plus twelve hundred there. Yeah, but considering everything we've talked about, you know, a little not nothing major, but a little sprinkle. You know, let's have some fun with it. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see throwing that into the throwing the ten dollars on that one. Yeah, uh, just to have something to stay up for when it gets weird in the, in the third quarter. Are oh. there long shot bets? Useful Baker asks, are there any long shot bets for Scotty Miller or Cameron Brait? Cameron sure. Brait at plus 2,500. Scotty and Miller's injured. Scotty Miller is injured. Yeah. So he is not on here. If you like, if you're a Keyshawn Vaughn fan, plus 8,000. And if you like the idea of Tom Brady completing a pass to himself and also gaining yardage on it. Because, like, a lot of times when you complete the pass to yourself, it's batted back in your face, and you're in your 44, you probably fall on it because it's foolish to do more than that. Plus 10,000 if you think that's going to happen. Uh, we don't. I like Cameron Brait better at plus 2,500 personally. Uh, Andy RML555 says Gronk is not practicing. I think he plays, but Brait is not a bad play. There you are. There you are. The secondary Go one could be one time Patriot Antonio Brown. Yes, he is in at the uh, plus 500. Yes, if legendary was, former Patriot. If it was possible to differentiate, the crowd would probably cheer Brady for 20 straight minutes and boo the living hell out of Antonio Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd probably cheer Gronk for 30 straight minutes. Yes. Oh, yes. And, yeah. and, and, and boo Antonio Brown as much as possible. I don't <laughs> think you can really boo Antonio Brown because it'll sound like you're booing Brady and Gronk and no one wants to sound. Well, hopefully most people don't want to sound like they're doing that. But, right. um, you know, Brown is probably bitter about the Patriots too because they went and signed him and then cut him after one week just because he – yeah, just you know, just because he harassed some women, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, I still feel like this side story for the with the Bucks is is how much we broadcasts still try to like talk past Antonio Brown's past. Yeah, uh, yeah it, like, it's it's gross. Use these mealy mouth words about how he's had troubles and problems and like. The, the legal department it makes, you know, it makes like you want to even if you want to root for the bucks and i'll admit i'm a slightly bitter patriots fan it's hard to watch brady and it's even harder to watch gronk doing it for another team because he's so much fun mm -hmm. but i feel like if you want to root for these guys like brown just makes it icky yeah and when they're talking on the air, the legal department's got the memo to them. We don't want you saying this. We don't want you saying the, that. It's tricky when you're speaking extemporaneously to say these things in a way that is not necessarily like you're going to give inaccurate information, speaking off the top of your head, at which case it could be actionable, et cetera. The same thing happens every time this phone rings on a radio station. You know, Deshaun Watson, let's talk about that. You got to go start over. Okay, where is it on the legal side of things? How mm. many... Women is he accused of, of doing what to precisely? And then you start start going with euphemisms and vague terms and talking about his issues and problems. 
because it gets you through the sentence, unfortunately. So, I mean, I hate it. It's icky. I kind of think that, like, TV reporters should be – announcers should be better at it than I am because they, they have a lot of prep and they have things that – the assistants that could help them with this stuff. But that's why you get those icky moments that you get because they just can't say – just, you just can't go out there and rip on a national television pro, uh, program even about Deshaun Watson or about Antonio Brown. All right. I think we all agree bucks by six and a half, right? Like I'm shocked that this line is not higher. This one could, you can see like sharp action late jumping on uh, uh, the Buccaneers, unless a Gronk injury makes the sharps uh, scared. I think you're going to see sharp action on the Ravens one where on Sunday that line suddenly changes by a couple. I've got to imagine that most of the handle on this game is coming in on the bucks though. Like I've got to imagine that the, the betting houses are really rooting for the Patriots in this game. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I also just can't imagine, like, it, on the other side of that, I can't imagine this Pats offense being able to keep up. Like, we already saw last week just how poorly Mac Jones performs under pressure, and I think, you know, especially that pick six, a couple of those interceptions ended up coming on the behest of, you know, the tight ends and right. some of his receivers. I don't think it was all totally Mac Jones's fault, but – it looked really poor under pressure, and this is now a Bucks defensive front that is right. They don't, really they don't have many stacks, but they have a lot of pressures. Yeah, and they're gaining JPP back. Like it's going to be a problem for Mac Jones to actually, you know, keep his head above water on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, don't have many sacks, but they have a lot of pressures. Let's do quickly the last game of the week: Las Vegas at the Los Angeles Chargers. Vegas is in the playoffs 72% if they win, 46% if they lose. And the Chargers, who DVOA absolutely hates, <laughs> that thus only make it 37% of the time if they win and 15% of the time if they lose. I, I don't know why DVOA seems to hate the Chargers so much, but like even the teams they've played, the opponent adjustments wouldn't even really help them because the Chiefs have only been 15th this year because the Chiefs sure. are one and two. So, um, the Raiders offense is really good passing, but bad running. Mm -hmm. The Chargers defense is 15th against the pass and 31st against the run. So that's an interesting <laughs> strength against strength, weakness against weakness. Right. Um, I picked this as my FO pick of the week. I'm, I'm going with my numbers here that just, you know, I feel like giving Vegas it's, it's Chargers by three and a half. And I just feel like giving Vegas three and a half points, you know, given that the Chargers, at least DVOA, doesn't think they're as impressive as people think they are, and the Raiders have been somewhat impressive, and that place is going to be filled with Raiders fans. Right. Because <laughs> they remember when the Silver and Black played in L.A. Yes. Yeah, this is the one game that Raiders fans have to mark out on their calendar every single year because, the you know, the Los Angeles Raiders were around in Los Angeles a lot longer than the Los Angeles Chargers have been mm -hmm. at this point. So there's still some – very lingering Raiders uh, fans there. My biggest matchup that I'm excited about was is, you know, I know he was banged up a little bit in the Chiefs game, but he ended up coming back and finishing the game. Derwin James against Darren Waller is going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially after what he did uh, to Travis Kelsey last week. And I think I'm a little bit higher on the Chargers personally because I think that ability for Derwin James to just line up one-on-one -on, -one on a guy like Darren Waller or a guy like Travis Kelsey last week, it really allows you to uh, the rest of the – Secondary for Brandon Staley, you know, Asante Samuel might be, a, you know, dark horse defensive player of the year, can or defensive rookie of the year, can not player yeah. of the year. Uh, 
you know, he's looks phenomenal this year, but it's, it's, you know, you're taking down a guy that is tied for second, in the league in targets right now. He's the heart and soul of this Raiders offense. And it's not like, you know, the chiefs last week where if you don't have a uh, Travis Kelsey going, you can turn to a Tyree kill. It's, you know, who Henry, uh, Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro, Zay Jones, like it's Brian it's Edwards, not, baby. Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards. It's not nearly the caliber of, you know, receiving core though. Yeah. The, it's interesting because I looked up the, the Raiders lead the league in 20 plus yard passing plays, which is not something you think of the Gruden offense. You think of them matriculating on, you know, 10 to 15 yarders, et cetera. Uh, Ruggs has five of those big plays and Edwards has five of those big plays. Edwards, uh, I believe he's number two in DVOA because uh, I was checking this out earlier. And so, I mean, I don't think that he has moved into an upper echelon. I'm not saying that, but uh, that, that nice ability, the ability of Gruden to, to distribute it, uh, et cetera, uh, has led to that performance on, on offense. Raiders defense just baffles me. I've been looking through the stats. I've been looking at the things that they're supposed to do well. And so much of the team's success seems to be like you get this two or three play sequence that goes in their direction and the game tilts. A good example was the safety last week, which was – uh, precipitated on the pin the, at the one yard line on the punt because they got a really good punter and Zay Jones is like the master. He's like Matthew Slater Jr. at downing punts inside the five. And so you get that play and the game kind of tilts on it. So then I go back and I look at the Raiders. It's like, oh, they must have a great starting field position uh, stats. And I look at our drive stats. They do not have good starting field position on defense. They must have a good back zone defense. I look at that. They do not have a good back zone defense. So I can't find the thing that's going well. It's just like week to week, something goes well for them. Pass pressure is going well for them. Pass pressure is going well for them overall. You know, playing against Jacoby Brissett and the and the uh, Dolphins, that's going to happen because their offensive line's insane. Um, but I'm leaning, I'm leaning Chargers in this game because I can't figure out what the Raiders are really hanging their hat on right now. Yeah, what's really interesting is, I mean, if our predictions end up panning out, this is now going to be a three-way tie in the top of the AFC West at 3-1, and one, and none of those teams are the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, that's something. Uh, I will say, so I am I would stick, I you know, I picked this for pick of the week. I'm going to stick with the numbers. I would go with Vegas plus three and a half here. If I had to pick a winner, okay. I would pick the Chargers. But I feel like three and a half points is a lot. That's a lot. To, uh, given the difference between these teams. But what do you guys, would you go Chargers minus three and a half or would you go Vegas plus three and a half? I would go either Chargers three and a half or look towards something like the money line. The money line is not good in this one at all. But if we could, if I could parlay the money line uh, with, with something that I liked, I'm just looking here. The overs up at 52. I don't like that. So, you know, I could see Chargers minus 165 and possibly the under as a play there. That's what I'm looking for. But I'm, I'm probably looking at this game towards, like, leaning away from it, uh, at least until I get an injury report or we get something more like a three-point spread than a three-and-a-half. Yeah, I'm still pretty high on the Chargers, especially like you talked about with, you know, Rayshon Slater and this offensive line looking much improved and, you know, this offense looking really strong. Uh, even though this Raiders pass rush has been, you know, exceptional through the first three weeks of the season. They also played Baltimore Ravens line that looked pretty abysmal to start the season. Yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers line that's continued yeah. to look pretty weak and that, you know, Miami Dolphins offensive line. So I think this is also, you know, again, one of the best sort of tests for these three and O teams uh, that they've seen so far this season. I think it'll be really interesting. And 
Honestly, I'm more excited for the back end of the season where the, you know, they close the season with uh, Chargers, Raiders uh, in week 18. So I, it's going to be a nice preview the for thing this. Is, I, I, mean, I don't think the Raiders will matter by then. Hmm. Yeah. You never know. You never know. I mean, despite the three and start, I don't think the Raiders are that good. We didn't think the Raiders were that good going into the season. Yep. The Raiders have only been average in DVOA so far. So Raiders always know. surprised though. They gave Kansas City their first loss last year, you know. Yeah. But then they fade. Then they, this year. Yeah. Then they fade. They fade. I don't know if they have and one thing is I don't know if they have a lot of depth on the roster. So they an injury or two could lead them to fade. That could lead the Broncos to fade. It's led the Chargers to fade every year. So yeah. You know, we're, we're, I'm, we're still, I think I'm still waiting for that division to sort itself out a little bit. Yeah. All right, folks. Thank you so much for joining us for Shots and Tanya Football Outsiders Live. Thank you, Kale Clinton, for being our guest. Thank you for having and, me. Always uh, a pleasure. Week four is going to be awesome. So thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. Now, remember, next week, we're going to be switching over to YouTube Live. So you're going to want to check out our YouTube link, Football Outsiders on YouTube. But you can also watch on Twitch. We'll be simulcasting on Twitch. So you can come back to twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. Also, uh, tomorrow, tune in at 1 o'clock for Scott Spratt's fantasy show with a guest who I don't know who it is. But it's going to be someone good talking fantasy football. 1 p.m. tomorrow, getting you ready for DFS for the weekend. And uh, I will talk to you next Monday after a great week four. Everybody have a good rest of your day and enjoy Jacksonville, Cincinnati tonight as much as you can enjoy something like that. <laughs>